I want to tell you a story uh, that happened to me several years ago. I had the uh, privilege, you know, when you're a pastor, you get invited to these intimate places of people's lives. And that is a great privilege, and it's also kind of a big burden. But you have the prerogative, or the purview, maybe is a better way to say it, of being able to see uh, growth and development, um, at least the, the long view of it. But I was approached by a man who I had had the privilege of getting to know, um, and uh, you know, he has, uh, was on a second marriage, and he had two kids, uh, but he had gotten remarried, and I was a part of their marriage, I was a part of their counseling. Um, they, he brought two uh, kids into the marriage, but then they, um, within their first year, got, uh, had, had a child, and this was 08, 09, and he lost his job, but as newlyweds, they had just bought a house that well, he was staring at foreclosure, and I had this friend who had this amazing ability to work with banks, uh, he was a mortgage broker by trade, but he had figured out ways to renegotiate loans, uh, keep, basically work a plan of salvation to keep him from foreclosure, um, saw God work a miracle, and then they had a second child, and then there was a lot of complications, uh, <clears throat> and she, she was, uh, wife was really sick, and again, this was the course of about uh, six or seven years um, so several years ago, I was approached by this guy immediately after the service. I wasn't speaking, but he found me in the crowd, and he came over to me, and he just looked at me with this kind of desperation in his eyes, and he says, she's pregnant. I don't know what we're going to do. I said, uh, what you're going to do? I, I, I mean, and I knew exactly what he meant. And I said, well, I, I think we need to meet. And that week, we scheduled a what became a two-hour lunch. And I knew that they had every intention, uh, or at least it became a very real, uh, plausible option to abort this child. And I felt like that was not a part of God's plan. And I felt like I was just going to spend the time abdicating for life. And the reason I felt that way, and what I sat with them is, I said, wait a second. I understand that this is overwhelming. I understand that financially you're just getting your feet back under you. I understand how hard your beginnings to marriage have been. But I've also seen step after step of God showing up in the most faithful and, and provisional ways. I said, think about this. And because I've had this intimate experience with them, because I've been involved with the counseling, because I visited them in the hospital in sickness, because I was a part of um, keeping them and, and introducing them and, and working through financial salvation, I could kind of sort through the last six or seven years and name the times where God showed up. To which I asked the question, why would a God who's been faithful all along somehow yield because you can't figure out how you're going to provide for this child? I remember nine months later getting to visit them in the hospital and just celebrating life. Not many times do I feel like I get to fight for life or death, but it was so awesome to be able to see them not only give birth to a child, beautiful young daughter, but to see them say, no, we're going to trust you even when it looks bleak. We're going to trust you even when circumstances overwhelm us. Even when we can't actually do the math financially and know how we're going to afford 
another mouth to feed. Even though the physical ramifications were so taxing the last, we will trust you. And the reason I tell you that story is when push comes to shove, I don't want to just tell you someone else's story, I want to make it really personal to each of us. When push comes to shove, when life feels overwhelming, when life feels defeating, what do we do, where do we place our faith? Because it's really easy when life gets too hard to go into, I've got to put my entrepreneurial hat. I've got to make a way. I've got to figure this out. If it's going to be done, it's up to me. And we tend to not extend faith. We tend to withdraw faith and trust and belief in a God who's been faithful. Do you remember the, 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 the command of God that he kept saying over and over again? And don't forget that you were once slaves in Egypt. And don't forget your story. Because not forgetting your story means that you won't forget God's faithfulness through the ages. I think that was a message for the Israelites back in the day, and I think it's for a testimony and a, a message for us here today. And so are we able to trust God in uncertainty? And faith is not simply receiving the blessing of God. I like to be on the receiving of God's provision, God's care, God's healing. But faith is really when times are bleak. So um, I want to talk about a word that probably none of us has used this week, maybe this year or ever, and the word is lordship. And if I had to break down the word lordship and define it simply in another way, I would say surrender. So what does it mean to grow in lordship? What does it mean when we talk about, for the last several weeks we've been in a series called uh, being saved, and salvation as lordship is one of the most important things that we can learn to understand um, <clears throat> in light of a growing relationship with Christ. Can we surrender ourselves, our intellect, our will, our insecurities, even in the midst of uncertainty? Can we surrender ourselves to a living God, a faithful God, even when we don't agree, when we don't understand? The $64,000 question that I think is super important to ask is, can Jesus be just our Savior and our Lord? Is, is, is Christianity simply about becoming saved or is it becoming Lord? Now, I would say that this has been a theological conversation and a debate for years and years and years, and I'm not trying to have a theological debate if Jesus can be our Savior and our Lord. What I am saying on a purely philosophical, purely personal reason, can Jesus be our Savior but not our Lord? To which my short answer is, I think so. It is very possible for you to be spiritually saved and be unaffected. It's possible for you to be saved and unchanged. It's possible for you to be saved, going to heaven when you die, and yet your life remains exactly in the same place with all the same temptation, all the same um, addictions, all the same phobias, all the same insecurities, and not grow in any kind of trust. And yet I would say, that when we can start to work out the lordship, who is lord of our lives, more specifically, lord of the uncertainty in our life, lord of the insecurity in our life, it's only then that we meet God in a very experiential, very personal way that it becomes transformational. 
can Jesus be our Savior, but not our Lord? And I would say, I think a lot of people are walking around with this idea like, I'm good, I'm saved, I'll see you next Easter when it's time to go to church again. I'll see you... And what I'm suggesting is there's a way to work out our salvation where there's this growing trust, a growing ability, a growing hopefulness to become more into people of hope, mercy, justice, generosity, hospitality. And we're invited to to flesh out this living faith. But if we just check a box, like saved, good, I believe in heaven. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe I'm saved by grace alone, so there's nothing more I can do. To which I would say, actually, there is this daily vow that we get to walk in, this daily exchange with God that I want to continue to walk in growing amounts of surrender because my natural tendency is to take control. And so there's a couple of passages that I want to work through tonight. Um, And so making Christ Lord is growing in our salvation. And what I would simply say, it's like spiritually being a child. And if you think about infancy to being a child, all of a sudden you take some small steps, they're wobbly steps, but you start to walk in faith and trust and obedience. And then it's like going from a teenager to an adult. And I think spiritually, there's a lot of people that have never grown into adulthood where they see their life as not their own because they've never learned to surrender. It's amazing. The longer I've been a parent, the more I think my parents are awesome. The the better job I think they did, the more credit that I want to give them. And I think spiritually, we can grow into adulthood where we become entrusted with God's kingdom on earth. So here's what I would say that if we want to look at salvation as lordship, Where's a good example of that? And my memory was drawn to the early church. And I want us to consider very carefully in light of this idea of lordship, in light of the need for us to spiritually grow up and learn to surrender, not to have to get my way, spiritually learn to grow up and surrender and learn to give of myself. I want to look at where they were first called Christians. Acts chapter 11. Turn with me there if you have your Bibles or open up your app. There's a passage of scripture. You can jot some notes down on the bulletin tonight if that helps too. But consider the kind of people who were first called Christians. And and we'll read in Acts chapter 11. uh, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word... uh, Uh, only among the Jews. Some of them, however, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, which was sort of the epicenter, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and they were first called Christians at Antioch. Paint the picture for you here. Imagine with like a huge persecution. It is not okay to be a public follower of Christ. And now Christ has died. And the one thing you can't not do is tell about the difference Christ is making in your life. When there's needs among you, the last thing you want to do is play it close to the vest. When there's needs among you, the thing you have to do is feed them, clothe them, come alongside in mercy. The people of God had been so changed by the risen Savior that the last thing you can do, persecution or none, is keep it quiet. 
which is pretty compelling. And it's interesting that it didn't happen in Jerusalem. They had to move outside of the establishment to be the church that was sent. Jerusalem should have been sending them. I was talking to a friend not too long ago who lives, he's from San Jose, and he has a bit of pride. Like, I was like, because if you're from the area, you always refer to San Francisco as the city. But population-wise, San Jose is bigger than San Francisco. And he's like, you know, you shouldn't call it the city because San Jose is bigger and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, there would be no San Jose without San Francisco. You know, I'm like, come on. And then, like, I was visiting with him and I was talking about how cool Austin is. And I was like, look, it, if you're a technology startup, especially if you're in the area of social media, you're starting in Austin. And he's like, oh, come on. He's like, Facebook's is not in Austin. You know, Instagram's not in Austin. And I was like, those are establishment. Yes. I mean, establishment as in like not 20 years old, but the startups are all happening here. I'm kind of getting off the point, but my point is <laughs> Jerusalem should have been sending. Jerusalem should have been the one going to all, eight, all the ends of the world. What they did is, no, this is the gospel for us. This is the gospel for our kind. This is the gospel who are, who are for people just as close to me as possible in beliefs, in race. And he's like, no, this is supposed to go to all the ends of the world. And so they start sharing in a Greek town of Antioch and more people are coming and there's a huge persecution. But the one thing they can't not do is tell the good news. Now, my question is, is you don't start here. You don't wake up one day with this missionary calling and be like, oh yeah. So my question is, what were the disciplines? What were the practices in, in Mission Hills language? What were the rhythms that they were practicing that formed this kind of unction, this kind of fire in their belly that they could not share, regardless that there was a persecution? So I go to Acts chapter 2, because I want to know what was the foundation they were laying as families what were the kind of practices they had as new believers that would cause them to stare in the face of opposition and go, oh no, I've got to go. Yeah, we're all busy, got to do it. Yeah, we all have our own needs, got to do it. And so Acts chapter 2, if you just flip back a couple of pages, this was the birth of the early church. So we see in Acts chapter 11, they were first called Christians at Antioch. Why? I would say because they settled the lordship issue they had surrendered themselves to God more than they had surrendered to the, the oppressive government of their day. There's a great persecution that broke out, but it did not matter. And so when, uh, um, if we want to do what Jesus did on the spot, if we want to do what the early Christians were doing on the spot, we have to practice what Jesus did off of the spot right? Because we can't just show up and start like have both. The, I, I think there's a life that we cultivate. It's the difference between trying versus training. I'm, I'm not going to run a marathon tomorrow, but I could train for one. And, and I think spiritually it works the same way too. Does God meet me every morning in devotions? Well, not in a goosebump way, but I try and carve out some time to just hear from him. But there's disciplines that I try and practice. Do I feel like there's some financial need in my life? Yeah, but I'm not going to not give back uh, systematically and generously uh, to God because I don't want to take control. I don't want to say that I trust me more than I trust you with my finances, Lord. 
So in Acts chapter 2, they had these practices. Now listen what they were doing. This is the foundational work. These were the rhythms, if you will. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, I would just underline, okay, they, they, were, they were surrendered to teaching because they wanted to learn. And to fellowship. Okay, so they were building the inner circle of their life around a, a, a heartfelt community. They had, and I would just say it this way, you don't get community without a standing appointment. That's why we have tribes. That's why we have this gathering, is because if we want to grow in, in a kind of relationship, I need to prioritize it. And then he said, they prioritized the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I think that's collectively as well as individually. Everyone was filled with awe at the, one, the many signs and wonders uh, uh, performed by the apostles. Okay, well, I don't know if your prayers are like this, but if I'm not careful, my prayers are, God, um, just don't let anything bad happen today. Uh, God, can you just keep my children safe today? God, will you just, um, come on. You, you don't have to have faith to pray a scared prayer. I'm saying, God, this is your day. D do you want to interrupt me? God, this is your day. We can I help me to see you today? Help me to see your need. Help me to see your provision. Help me to see your guidance today right? Because that's, that's when the miraculous signs and wonders show up. And here's what they did. Uh, all the believers were together, uh, and they had everything in common. Well, that sounds like Mission Hill speak, because what do we have, even though, like, we're all different, like, life stages and age ranges? It's, we got to bear the image of God. So we already share, and so, so now community is just finding what we already have in common. Well, what they were doing was they sold property, and possessions to give to anyone who had need. In other words, if there were needs among them, and I would extend that not just to who's within these walls, but to the people that are within our lives, maybe on our block, maybe in our city, there was something that says, if there's needs among them, we've got to meet them. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Why? Because they had a standing appointment. And they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God. So there's a discipline of gratitude and enjoying the favor of all people, all people, not just people who think like them. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think they built a culture of lordship and the church wasn't simply something to be consumed like a religious goods and service, like a bunch of programs that work for me or don't work for me, but Church was a community where faith was being lived out. It was being actively expressed. And so they were eating, there was fellowship, there's teaching, there's healing, there's meeting consistently, serving and praying, sacrificing, sharing. They had practices, spiritual practices, individually and corporately, that they were committed to so that they could, under persecution, respond, rise to the occasion, be the church like a Minutemen army called to arms. And I think the process of making Christ Lord of our lives involves seeking, involves noticing, it involves having regular experiences with God. And biblically speaking, when we talk about knowing God, it was always in an interactive way. We have so, post-age of enlightenment, so fallen in love with knowing as a cognitive growth, as a, I got the content in my head, so therefore I should be changed. Well, if you're like me, and you grew up in Sunday school your whole life, that didn't necessarily 
transform my heart. That didn't change even my behavior. Now it informed some things and it was good. But what I'm saying is there is something we are supposed to have with a personal experience with God. So I don't want to just get a generic version of God and come to church and then somehow not feed myself or not approach him, not seek until next week. There is something that I think God wants to cultivate and he invites us to have a personal experiential relationship to know him like you'd know a spouse. So to accept Christ as Lord, we need to settle, I think, just a couple of really important things. Because if we want to grow and surrender, is God good? Is God love? I would contend that God is not a loving God. And the reason I'd say that is because that would make him at times unloving. God doesn't, doesn't, he is love. He can't not love. God is good. So how does that inform your ability to surrender? To answer the lordship, even in certain uncertainty, even in disagreement. This is something that's been really convicting. I mean, I've wrestled with this for several weeks because I knew I was going to be talking about it. Let me say it this way. I was reading a book, um, and the author of the book was telling a story about Dallas Willard. His name is Gary Moon, and they were quite close. Dallas Willard was a great patriarch of the modern era in faith. He was a professor of philosophy at USC. He died in 2013, and he just lived an amazing life. Um, in fact, the book was called Becoming Dallas Willard, and Gary Moon, who is a, a brilliant man, has one of the EQs off the chart, uh, wrote this wonderful book about the life. But he was saying at the end of the book, and he had been telling different seasons and chapters, Dallas Willard had a huge impact in not just um, academia, um, but he also had uh, a huge impact in the church as well. And the thing with Dallas is Dallas could go as a philosopher and a theologian to the deepest levels, the layer, peel back layers to find an integrated or a commonality. It was, it, I, it was genius. Gary Moon tells the story of this moment where he and his wife are at this place that had become kind of special between him and Dallas. They were parked in their car, having a lamenting, kind of grieving conversation together. And as they're talking and kind of just sharing, they're kind of oblivious, but um, this lady comes up uh, on the driver's side window and knocks on his window and kind of startles and is like, rolls down the window and says, are you gonna be leaving anytime soon? And he's like, um, no, no, we're here, we're good. So, okay, I have a dog, and I've been coming with my dog for like 14 years. This is where we play, um, but she's blind now, and if you were to back up, she wouldn't know to move, so don't move. And he's like, don't worry, we're staying, we're talking, and I'll let you know if we're moving. And then they kind of dive back into their conversation. But minutes later, they hear this kind of rhythmic scraping sound in the asphalt of the parking lot. And so he and his wife look over and they see this lady who's going around kind of dragging her foot in, 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 in figure eights. And the dog, this blind dog, has a tennis ball in his mouth and just in her happy place is following the voice of the owner. And the voice of the owner, the facial expressions of this lady is, I'm right here. Come on, you can hear me. Calling out to the dog to just follow her around, making enough noise that the dog would, be, would know where to go. And Gary Moon writes, he says, 
That was such a pointed, almost kairos moment, if you will. A divine appointment where God showed up with a lady exercising and playing with her 14-year-old dog, saying, you're this blind dog, and I'm making noise all around you. And I'm trying to give you joy and direction. I'm trying to give you both comfort and love and guidance. And all you need to do is listen to the sounds around you. Listen to the prompts around you. I'm with you. And whether we have an overt persecution or a subtle persecution, whether we have sickness in our lives or whether we have financial hardship, there is this need we have if we want to have faith that's transformational to come under the lordship of Christ and say, I believe that you're good and I believe that you love. And even if I don't agree with your way or understand your way, I will follow. This, this is a living faith. And the reality is, is the more we submit to that, the more we allow for the growing awareness of the presence of God, I think the more we sense God in the mundane. The more we sense God in the morning commute when it feels less than Christian. The more we sense God and, and, and grieve over things that we might not used to give a second thought to. The more our heart starts to break at injustice the more generosity starts to be part of our narrative, the more we begin to love unlovable people who have maybe offended us. See, this is the transformational work of the gospel. This is what it means to not just be saved and go to heaven, but to make Christ Lord of our life, where we can say, I surrender. And I don't want to, but I do. I trust you more than me. I surrender to my insecurities. I surrender because 18 years ago, we prayed to dedicate our children to the Lord. And what we really did in dedicating our child to God was say, this is not our child. You've just entrusted us with him, but he's your child. And now we're saying, you get to move out and I'm still your dad, still your mom, but I'm trusting you, Lord. And I don't really want to. But I will, because you've been faithful. You've been faithful. How can, I, how can I pull back now? You've been there all along, all the mile markers. So I just want to pray with you. I want to pray with you about the nature of our need for lordship and surrender. I want to, I want to just challenge you to pray tonight in a really personal, maybe intimate way. Um, so would you just bow your heads with me and just listen to my voice um, but maybe more importantly, just sense the Spirit of God. Regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, is there something that you have never surrendered? Your will? Your heart? If you've never been able to just surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I would just give you space and encouragement to welcome Him as both Savior and Lord. I believe that we walking around, we can be saved, um, but Christ not be Lord. And I want growing in salvation is growing in surrender until he's Lord of all. My experience is that that almost is a daily prayer. I just have to wake up and say, God, this is your day. 
I have so much to do today, but I want it to be your day. I've just been making that my habit because I feel a little out of control at times. A daily prayer of surrender is a worthy one. Is there something that you're holding on to because you've just struggled to trust God with? Is there an offense that you're holding on to because forgiveness feels like you're losing when it actually is a path towards freedom? question is, what can you do? Maybe what, what do you need to do to experience God's Spirit more? To experience His guidance? To experience His strength? Because I don't think God's voice is like winning the lottery. I think God's voice is ever-present. I think the activity of the Spirit is constant and we just need to tune into that frequency. So the question is, is what helps you? What do you need to do to be able to turn, tune into that frequency? To condition your hearing, to soften your heart. For the early church, it was like we were not going to give up on the teaching and the meeting together. We were not going to give up on sacrificially giving of our lives. We were not gonna let needs go unmet. Why? To save anyone? No. Because they recognized their needs were no different. They were just as needed, albeit in different ways. What are the rhythms, the disciplines that you might need just to stay in tune with God's voice? Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would just, by the graciousness of your Holy Spirit, prompt us. Bring a picture to our mind, bring a word to our head. I pray that you would invite us into greater levels of surrender so that we might be transformed, that we might experience heaven here and now, that we might experience a salvation from addiction, a salvation from despair, salvation from physical ailments. Lord, we want to trust you. And it's so hard, but you're so faithful. So help us to be faithful as you are faithful. Remind us of your faithfulness. Thank you for the good work you've begun. Thank you for the story you've been writing. Thank you for the people that you've been surrounding me with. Thanks for the people that you've been surrounding my son with. Lord, we give you this time you to speak in the most personal way, in the most intimate ways. We just, we want to celebrate you, but we want to seek you. We want to hear from you. We want to receive from you.
receive your blessings, but we want to believe you when times are uncertain. We give you our struggle. Walk with us in the tension. In Jesus' name.